We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Candlestick Chronicles. My name is Chris Biederman. I cover the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee, and I am joined, as always, by Kyle Madsen of Niners Wire of the USA Today Sports Media Group. Kyle, how was your Valentine's Day? It was it was really nice. Uh, my significant other is from the Midwest, and so what we did is we went to Cracker Barrel, and it was awesome. Where is there a Cracker Barrel? In Sacramento. Really? Yeah, about uh, 20 minutes from my abode. Wow. So I took her somewhere nice. You know, we put on our <laughs> finest flannel. I did not know to... there was Cracker Barrel in California. Yeah, dude, there's one in Sacramento, uh, not far from, from the B. So next time you're up here in the newsroom, let me know, and you and I will hit up Cracker Barrel. Yeah, that's cool. Um, <laughs> no, I, I went to Cracker Barrel during college when I was in Ohio. That was uh, It's definitely a good spot. A favorite of one Jim Harbaugh. Oh, of course um, it is. Yeah. It's probably like the most Jim Harbaugh restaurant of all time. <laughs> it is the Jim Harbaugh of restaurants. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so we are back. We took a little bit of time off this week. I was on vacation. Um, I am not all that enthused to be back because my vacation was fantastic. And the weather in the Bay Area has not been <clears throat> since I've been home. Um, but we are here to talk about, we're going to preview, uh, the Niners. We're going to do another free agency preview, look at defensive tackles, because that's what we talked about in our previous episode, uh, which you, you should go back and listen to, particularly if you have strong opinions one way or another about the Niners potentially drafting, uh, Queen and Williams, a defensive tackle from Alabama with that number two overall pick. We dove into that a lot. Uh, and we mentioned that we should probably dive into free agency at the position, because that's sort of a, an either-or scenario. 
Uh, but before we get to that, there was there was some pretty big news. It was a it was a Friday news dump uh, coming out of the NFL league office. Uh, if you haven't heard, Colin Kaepernick and Eric Reed, uh, their collusion case against the NFL was settled, uh, and that's really all we know about it at this point. Uh, Kaepernick's and Reed's attorneys uh, released a statement, a joint statement in conjunction with the league. Uh, quote, for the past several months, counsel for Mr. Kaepernick and Mr. Reed have engaged in an ongoing dialogue with representatives of the NFL. As a result of those discussions, the parties have decided to resolve the pending grievances. The resolution of this matter is subject to a confidentiality agreement, and there will be no further comment by any party. So read between the lines and, and sort of the, the reporting that's been going on surrounding this. It sounds like the NFL believed um, that some unflattering information was going to come out in this case as it went to discovery later this month in front of an arbitrator. Um, so essentially what people are saying, and, and I think it's a fair assumption to make, is that the league is, is giving Kaepernick and Eric Reed a cash settlement uh, to end this, uh, this collusion grievance, which is another way of saying Kaepernick and Reed have have won. They they won this case because the league is is going so far as to to cash them out to end it. So um, depending on how you feel about Colin Kaepernick and and everything that's gone on these last few years, um, it it sounds like. I mean, I don't expect him to play again, but it sounds like uh, there was an effort going on behind uh, behind the curtain, I guess. To you know, and to 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 maybe keep him from playing. He obviously hasn't played uh, in two seasons, and this is just proof that there's evidence, maybe a smoking gun, whether it be email or text messages, and it doesn't have to be throughout the entire league. It just has to be you know one front office or a couple front offices, or you know anyone from from the league office who discouraged Kaepernick from getting signed. If there's proof of that, uh, then that's certainly unflattering information that the league does not want out there. Uh, so we don't know exactly what the settlement entails. People are, are saying and reporting that it's probably a cash settlement. I happen to agree with that. Uh, Kyle, what, what was your take? What was your thought? Though? What was going through your head when you saw this news come down? I think it was Friday at about 11, 11 a.m. Yeah, I was actually at the gym when it came down, and so I. Of course, you were. Yeah, where else uh, would you that's be? That's where I spend all of my time: gym, podcast, gym, podcast. <laughs> um, so I didn't have a ton of time to really read, but I did have a lot of time to kind of think and reflect on it. And I, I agree with you. The immediate reaction for me was, "Oh, this is a tough look for the NFL." But obviously, we don't know. That's total guess and speculation to think that the NFL settled because they went, we are super screwed on this. So here's some money. Please, let's never talk about this ever again. But the the fact of the matter is Kaepernick's career is probably over. And Reed just got a three-year contract from the Panthers. So uh, maybe a team now decides to take a swing on Colin Kaepernick. But I believe the reason he wasn't in the league before was because teams were afraid of the distraction for a player that they weren't certain could start for their team. And I think that would be an even larger distraction now, given the collusion case and the now settlement. So I am personally kind of uh, bummed out because somebody's football career ended sooner than it probably should have. 
Um, but if this was a victory for their side, uh, I hope that the NFL handles itself differently uh, in these cases moving forward. Yeah, and we don't know, like we said, there's there's a confidentiality agreement. Howdy, Easy for me to say. <laughs> Uh, regarding this, and we don't know what language is in there. There could be something. I think uh, Mike Florio, Pro Football Talk, tweeted that there might be something in there that says Kaepernick not trying to get a job uh, in the NFL is part of this settlement. Uh, they might just be paying him to go away for good. Right. I We don't know if that's true or not, um, but it's definitely a possibility, and I think it would make sense really from both the league standpoint and Kaepernick's because I think – you know, for Kaepernick and in terms of his cause and, and what he's trying to do, I think there's more value in him being a pariah sort of outside of the league rather than trying to hold that position inside of the league where he's going to be subject to reporters all the time and everything he says and does is going to be under scrutiny and he'll have a much harder time controlling the narrative. And we know how those things can sort of go hay- haywire. So while he's outside of that NFL realm, which he's been the last couple of years, he's very much been able to control his message through his own social media, through the fact that he's not subject to reporters. But at the same time, I'll always push back on the idea that Kaepernick, you know, was a distraction or would be a distraction. Um, you know, I covered that 2016 team after the team meeting following his his decision to kneel really came to light. And he had a team meeting with with everyone in the locker room, everyone was on board. And the fact that Kaepernick won the Len Eshmont Award, which is by far the most prestigious award given each year. Right. No one no one in that locker room, at least outwardly, said Kaepernick was a distraction uh, and a negative one. And I think what goes overlooked in this thing is, is what could be gained by having Kaepernick in the league too, in the sense that, you know, since being out of the league, he's had one of the highest selling jerseys uh, Nike has done really well since launching that ad campaign starring Kaepernick early this season. And we've seen those people who decided to not sell Nike products. I think there was a store, I forget where, I want to say it was in Colorado. Colorado. There was a report. Yeah, there was a store that that basically went out of business after boycotting Nike because of the Kaepernick ad. So, I mean, I mean, it's a complicated issue. Obviously, there's a lot to it. But today we got sort of some semblance of, of closure, I guess, I guess, relating to that collusion case. Um, the league thought that there might have been enough there that they didn't want any of the possible damaging evidence to become public. So they settled with, with Kaepernick and Eric Reed. And, and what exactly that settlement means remains to be seen. And we don't know if we'll ever get that information because if it does come out, somebody is going to be violating their confidentiality agreement and then subject to further lawsuits. So we will never know. But I think it's it's fair to say, like many others are speculating, that that there was a significant amount of cash and maybe something like 50, 60, 70, 80 million dollars given out by the league. And that's a relative drop in the bucket for them. I mean, if it if it's not that much money, then it might be dealing with a crazy PR hit coming out, you know, with with owners text messages or, you know, Roger Goodell's emails or something that could be far more salacious than than them just having to give out some money to Kaepernick and Reed. So uh, is there anything you want to add to that before we move on? No, no. I like like I said earlier, I just hope that this entire thing leads the NFL to maybe conduct itself differently in situations that like this that might arise in the future, because I think they botched it pretty thoroughly 
And uh, hopefully now they know that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. Well, they, they botch <laughs> fair, off fair. the field stuff. All right, that's fair. Like it's like, it's almost their job and we expect them to learn from each different situation, but they don't evidence by Kareem hunt getting signed by the Browns um, and the Ruben Foster stuff. And well, hey, fingers crossed. We can go, you know? go on and on and on with all the scandals that enveloped the NFL uh, over time. But let's move on to something far less scandalous, I guess. Um, Pierre Garcon is expected to become a free agent. The 49ers are not going to pick up his option for the 2019 season. Mike Garofolo of the NFL Network was first to report this. Garcon tweet. Uh, he didn't tweet it. Sorry, I, I have to be correct. When I when I discussed social media, he took to Instagram and posted a picture of a help wanted sign in a storefront window. Uh, I think he did this yesterday with some captions along the line of like, as one door shuts, another one opens, LOL. So Pierre Garçon is going to be out. And um, that's not entirely surprising. The 49ers could save, I think, somewhere around six million dollars in cap space if they give him a post June one uh, designation on his release. And that's pretty significant. Uh, he's only played eight games in each of the last two years. He hasn't been particularly productive. They brought him in to be their number one receiver to sort of bridge the gap when Kyle Shanahan completely remade the receiving core when he was first brought in in 2017. And, and Garcon suffered a neck injury in the eighth week of last year. He he dealt with a, with a knee injury the second half of this season, only played eight games before having arthroscopic surgery in December. Um, overall, just not, I don't want to say it was a terrible signing because, you know, Garcon had always been durable and, and productive basically, you know, at every stop of his career. And obviously, you know, in 2013 with, with Kyle Shanahan as his offensive coordinator in Washington, he led the league in catches and had 1,346 yards. But I mean, last year he had 500 yards in eight games this year, 286 yards in eight games. And he only scored one touchdown. Uh, during his two seasons with the 49ers and the 49ers were the worst red zone offense in the NFL this last year. So I think looking at that and looking just at the salary, I think it makes a ton of sense for the 49ers to cut bait and move on. The problem is, is they were already thin at receiver, even with Garcon. Right. And now it becomes an even more pressing need heading into the offseason. Yeah. And what's kind of ironic is they could really use a receiver like prime Pierre Garcon that was uh, good at making contested catches could get open. Um, and now they're in need of a receiver like him again. I think, I think what we saw in 2017, because his first eight games, he was good. He had 40 catches and 500 yards. Like you said, didn't find the end zone, but it was a productive receiver and a, and a reliable one. But with Brian Hoyer, mostly a quarterback, right, and a reliable receiver. But I, I just don't think he was ever going to reach that level again. And and I think he can be productive as a as a you know fourth or fifth option on a on a good team. But the 49ers are trying to rebuild, and they can't afford to pay a 33 year old Pierre Garcon to play 12 to 15 snaps a game. They have they they have to find uh, room to get younger players in to develop and find out who's going to be a foundational piece moving forward. And Garcon obviously wasn't going to be that. So obviously I wrote a Pierre Garcon thing today, Friday, which should be posted on sackbcom slash 49ers. By the time you listen to this, if you're interested, um, you know, the 49ers, they do have some avenues. I mean, to, to really get a true number one, obviously we've talked about Antonio Brown at length. Uh, Jay Glazer 
the noted NFL insider sort of dropped a bomb on the athletic this week in a, in a mailbag that he said he's predicting that Odell Beckham Jr. of the Giants gets traded this offseason, which would certainly be interesting because they just brought in an entirely new regime last offseason and signed Beckham to a, I want to say it was five years and 95 million or something like that. Uh, it was an extension. So that extension kicks in this season. So he's got five more years on that deal. I think there were 65 million in guarantees and he's still only 26. And a really um, good player. So FYI. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we have to. We, it doesn't take too much analysis to say Odell Beckham is really, really good. It's an interesting scenario because he's sort of he's he uh, on the field between the lines. He, he embodies what Kyle Shanahan looks for in receivers and somebody that can separate from man to man coverage. Really good route runner. Good hands, obviously. Also really good in the red zone. Um, but then there's the off the field stuff and the, you know, the temper tantrums that he threw on the sideline with the Giants when. You know, teams weren't throwing his way or, you know, Eli Manning was struggling or whatever issues were happening in New York. I know the offensive line was obviously a huge thing. Um, They've picked pretty high in the draft the last couple of years. Uh, With Odell, do I see the 49ers trading for him? I see them maybe making calls, maybe formulating a pitch, maybe, you know, breaking down what exactly they would be willing to offer for Odell, but I'm not entirely sure that they would do it. Um, I would think this year's number two overall pick would be off the table. So I would think much like, you know, the Brown discussions that we've had on this podcast before, I think the 2020 first round pick, you know, presumably the 49ers are going to expect to be a lot better, not pick number two, maybe pick in the teens or in the twenties if they make the playoffs. Maybe a package including that first round pick and maybe some second rounders or, you know, mid round selections to to throw into that package for Odell if they wanted to go that direction. Um, I don't totally see it because not only are you giving away all that draft capital, but you're you're signing up to pay him an average of eighteen point six million over the next five years, um, which actually isn't as much as it sounds because the cap is going to continue to grow or at least expected to grow by about $10 million each season. Sure. Um, and the 49ers are, are going to have $70 million in cap space, roughly $70 million in cap space uh, next month when, when the new league year opens. So it's not inconceivable. I wouldn't bank on it because, like I said, I mean, they were aggressive in, in, in wanting to get Khalil Mack, and they said they had a better offer on the table for the Raiders and what the bears gave them. And that was a a really big trade package that included, I think multiple first round picks, right? Yeah. But that's, that's a edge rusher. That's a, a, like we always talk about a premium position, right? I can't see him doing this. Unless the giants really want to unload Odell Beckham. And they're like, we need to get this guy off the team. Somebody take him for like a second and third rounder. I just, I really don't see the 49. I maybe the 2020 first rounder, like you said, but I just can't see him getting involved outside of that. Yeah, and, and it's just, you know, when it, whenever somebody like this becomes available, you sort of have to talk to him, talk about them in the 49ers context because of the way John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan talk about building the team. You know, they say we're going to be aggressive and we're going to look into everything, and, and they made it a point to announce to the world that they had a very competitive offer for Khalil Mack. Um, so that sort of sets them up for these type of discussions, right? And obviously they, they're going to have a huge need at receiver now that Garcon is out. Um, 
And, you know, you can't really rely on Marquise Goodwin. Dante Pettis showed flashes, but you don't really know what he's going to be yet. Plus, he and Goodwin play mostly the same position. Um, Trent Taylor is coming off a, a, you know, not a very good second season just because of mostly because of he had that, that back surgery he had before the year that was far more significant than even he anticipated. Um, so, I mean, if the Niners had to part with the 2020 first round pick and some mid round picks, it wouldn't be crazy. It wouldn't be crazy just because, I mean, it's not crazy because they're going to bank on themselves from the standpoint of, okay, if we get a player like Odell Beckham, uh, mercurial personality, we think we have a good enough offense and infrastructure in place to get him the targets that he needs to right. be happy. I think, I think Kyle Shanahan could devise that kind of offense. And obviously he did it in Atlanta with Julio Jones. So I think you sort of have to talk. I I don't know if it's going to happen, but I think you actually have to talk about the 49ers being a little bit more realistic of a trade candidate under this regime and under these circumstances with all the cap space they have than previous years when, you know, Trent Baalke was, was running the show and would often talk about, you know, how you're, you're not paying market price for free agents or, or trade, you know, guys you trade for. Um, I think the 49ers really do want to make a splash. I think they are aware of the optics. Um, that that's not. I'm not going to go as so. I'm not going to go as far as saying I predict them to trade for for Odell Beckham. But I think they certainly have to be in the discussion when you're when you're trying to forecast how this whole thing's going to play out. If in fact the Giants are are looking at trading trading him, and Jay Glazer, I don't think would just say that if he didn't right. really believe it. And he's one of the most plugged in reporters in in the entire sports landscape. So. You know, there are crazier things could happen, I guess. There's there's just I could see a scenario going back to what you said about about the the Niners with their current infrastructure being able to I don't want to say withstand, but uh take in Odell Beckham Jr. and be successful. I could see them doing that where they're looking at their offense and they're going, Hey, this guy takes our offense from top 15 to top five and this is that that puts us that puts our offense in a place where we can survive not having a top 12 defense um so if that i mean if that's their logic and they they really think that odell beckham jr is going to be the player that takes them over the top then you know i guess nothing's really off the table but it's just really hard for me the way the way I at least view this team to think that they are a wide receiver away from really contending. And I think that dishing out the draft capital it would take to acquire Odell Beckham would ultimately set them back more than it would put them ahead. Yeah. I think there's definitely a case to, uh, I think there's definitely a case to make about the draft capital, depending on what it is. Correct. Um, and and one thing I always go back to, or not always, but I guess I've recently started going back to, is that draft picks are no sure thing. You know, I mean, I think 49ers fans should be aware of that as as well as any other fan base in the NFL, just knowing that just because, you know, a first round draft pick sounds really important, but it's also an opportunity to screw it up. And it's not necessarily, you know, it's not always a bad idea to give other teams that chance to screw it up. Um 
you know, a first round draft picks only as valuable as the guy you pick. Right. right? So if you pick Solomon Thomas or Eric Armstead, guys who we're going to talk about in this pod um, and you whiff and you don't find an elite star player, then in that context, maybe dealing away some of that draft capital isn't such a horrible idea after all, because the draft can be a little bit of a crapshoot. But before we move on to talk about defensive linemen, Kyle, I, I have an announcement to make. What? Blue Wire, our podcast network, is teaming up with Harry's to make sure our listeners are shaving what? comfortably. Go to harrys.com slash bluewire to save $10 on a value trial set, which includes a five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, and a travel wow. blade cover. You get all that for just $3 shipped right to your door. Enough with the cheap razors. It's totally worth trying Harry's. I actually use Harry's today. My neck is smooth. I'm so jealous. Harry's. Harry's has fixed shaving by combining a simple, clean design with quality and durable ra- durable razor blades at a fair price. Harry's founders were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned. Harry's bought a world-class blade factory in Germany that's been making quality blades for over 95 years. Join the 10 million who have tried Harry's. Claim your trial offer by going to harrys.com slash bluewire. All of Harry's blades come with a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. Again, make sure you go to harrys.com slash bluewire to redeem your razor for $3. Life can be stressful, but getting life insurance shouldn't be. That's why there's Ethos. Ethos is a modern kind of life insurance that's super fast, incredibly affordable, and very uncomplicated. At getethos.com, there's no medical exams for policies covering under a million dollars. No hours of paperwork or meetings with pushy representatives. It only takes 10 minutes to apply, and you can get rest assured knowing you've taken steps to protect your family, and in most cases with Ethos, you can have that peace of mind for less than a cup of coffee a day with no hidden fees. Having life insurance can free you from stress. Getting life insurance shouldn't cause it. Discover how uncomplicated life insurance can be at Ethos. Get your free instant quote and submit your complete application in minutes. Just go to ethos.com. That's E-T-H-O-S. Getethos.com. Getethos.com. All right, Kyle. So we're going to look at defensive tackles because we spent so much time talking about the idea of Keenan Williams last week. We decided to bridge these two episodes uh, to talk about the possible additions they can make in free agency. And the reason why this came up uh, because I posited the idea that perhaps signing a, a high quality defensive tackle free agent would make more sense from a team building perspective than drafting a defensive tackle uh, with the number two overall pick, making it four times in five years that they've gone that yep. direction at that position. Not great. Um, which is a lot. And, and I think they've only really found one star of, of that mix. And I'm not entirely sure that Queen and Williams is going to be a star either because there are a lot of pretty good defensive tackles that get drafted in the first round, but not all of them are stars. And we don't really know that Queen and Williams is going to be a star. So, excuse me, what the 49ers have at defensive tackle, DeForest Buckner, Pro Bowler, Eric Armstead, his fifth year option 
is coming up, and the 49ers have an interesting decision to make on him. We'll talk about that in a second. Solomon Thomas, the third overall draft pick from 2017. Kentavious Street missed all of last year with an ACL tear after a pre-draft workout. Sheldon Day, DJ Jones, and Julian Taylor. Uh, The team released nose tackle Earl Mitchell earlier this month to clear a little bit of cap space, presumably making DJ Jones the team's number one nose tackle. Sheldon Day is also going to be in that mix, maybe more as a pass rusher. Um, I have defensive tackle really on a scale of one star to five star. I have it as a one star need. I don't think, you know, if, if they added a, another defensive tackle, I I could certainly understand it. I don't think it's pressing in particular because I think they have some solid guys on the team already. And I think if you bring back Eric Armstead, you're, you're in decent shape. Um, Kyle, Scale one to five. How how big yeah, the I, I also think it's maybe one and a half stars just because they don't have they don't have a player who they don't have like a star at that position. I guess DeForest Buckner's getting there, but elsewhere along the defensive line, they ha- they have some like good rotational guys. And you mentioned Eric Armstead. This becomes a greater need if if they don't keep him around. But even if they do, if they have an opportunity to get a a impact player at that position and they can fit it inside their salary cap, I, I think that's something they should do um, because, like I said, they don't really have any major impact players on the interior of the, of the uh, defensive line. Yeah, so let's rehash the Armstead thing uh, just, just so it's clear. The Niners picked up his fifth-year option last spring, which means they reserve the right to pay him just north of $9 million fully guaranteed at the start of the new league year next month. But that money isn't guaranteed or fully guaranteed until the start of the new league year, meaning until then they could decide to release him or they could negotiate a multi-year contract extension. Uh, they have some options, and it should. it's also worth noting that Armstead suffered a hand injury late in the season. He played through it week 17. I want to say he broke his hand in against the Bears uh, week 16, I think that was, um, and played, played with a club on his hand, which he couldn't do the previous year. Uh, Armstead had just three sacks. I think there's a little bit of untapped potential still with his pass rushing. He, he proved to be really good against the run. You know, the 49ers are going to have 65 or 70 million in cap space with counting Armstead's cap hold, which is, you know, north of nine million bucks. So they still have cap space. They could obviously clear more. And I think the point of this discussion is that maybe they do make uh, an investment at defensive tackle if they move on from Armstead, who you remember was brought in to play a two gapping, three, four defense. And now the 49ers are predominantly a one gapping. For three defense, it's it's kind of a three four hybrid, but Armstead's role has certainly changed a little bit, um, and he might not be in a spot where he can be maximized. So the 49ers might say, you know, maybe instead of paying Armstead nine million, we'll give a give a look at some of these high level free agents. And there there are three guys that we sort of looked at and highlighted um, under under the pretext that they move on from Armstead, which is a possibility. Um, just because, like we said, I mean, you, the, it's unclear exactly how he fits. He played big end and base downs where he was good against a run and that he should be good against a run because in that position, he mostly goes up against tight ends. 
he kicked inside as an interior pass rusher. Um, and these are both areas, positions really, where Solomon Thomas plays. And maybe moving on from Armstead allows Solomon Thomas to get more development. The 49ers are obviously more invested in Thomas, drafting him third overall, the first draft pick made uh, by the Shanahan and John Lynch regime. So if they move on from Armstead, then I think it's it's much more likely that they make a significant investment at defensive tackle, maybe more of a pass-rushing nose tackle hybrid than Armstead, who's an outside run player and inside pass rusher in their scheme. So Kyle, why don't you start us off and look at look at the first name on our list of, of somebody who could potentially replace Armstead who might be a more natural fit. So the first player on our list is Sheldon Richardson, formerly of the Jets. He spent a year with the Seahawks and then a year spent last season with the Vikings on a one-year $8 million deal. Super effective player, former first-round pick. But something we talked about prior to the podcast was his string of one-year deals after only playing four years with the Jets is a little bit of a concern, I think, especially when considering what the 49ers want to do from a culture standpoint. But when you look at when you look at Richardson, he has 23 and a half sacks across six seasons. He had eight in his second year uh, en route to the Pro Bowl. He's he's a very, very good player on the inside who maybe hasn't lived up to the number 13 overall pick, but he's still been uh, a good player pretty much everywhere he's gone. And I, if if you can get him for eight million dollars, that's less than you'd be paying Armstead, I, I think. Uh, if I'm the 49ers, I'd rather have Richardson for a year. Yeah, and he's familiar with the scheme, having played it uh, with the Seahawks, and he was really good for the Vikings last year. He, I mean, his best game of the season last year came, I think, week one against the 49ers. He was just completely dominant. He hurried Jimmy Garoppolo five times, uh, seven total pressures, according to Pro Football Focus. Um, he, he, he tailed off a little bit as the season went, uh, I don't think he he ever posted a grade close to that. But, I mean, this is a really active defensive tackle. And you with, with the 49ers scheme, I mean, Earl Mitchell, the nose tackle, he played a lot on passing downs because they wanted to have some of that, some of that beef on the inside against the run when they went to nickel pack, packages. So if they were to move on from Armstead, who is not – who can't play – who can't really play nose tackle in the way that someone like Sheldon Richardson could – uh, then I could see adding somebody who could play nose, could play inside in both running and passing downs and provide a little bit of that disruption, um, that, that one gap disruption that maybe Sheldon Richardson could do a little bit better than Armstead. Um, and like you said, I mean, the it, it's all about cost, right? And so if it comes down to paying Eric Armstead a fully guaranteed $9 million or Sheldon Richardson you know, eight million. I I happen to agree with you because I think he's a better fit for the scheme. It's a better allocation of resources, and it allows someone like Solomon Thomas to get more time at that big end position. Maybe he rotates a little bit more uh, on the inside, but uh, I think overall, in terms of composition of the defensive line, someone like Sheldon Richardson for that kind of money fits better than Eric Armstead. I completely would. agree with you there, and. It'll be a lot of this, and I, we mentioned this earlier, but I think it, it bears repeating. A lot of this has to do with if they keep Armstead, I just don't think there's room for another body at that position on the roster. But if their decision to keep Armstead comes down to 
Armstead or signing one of the guys we're going to talk about for $9 million or less, I think that's the route they probably wind up going. Who's next? Yeah, well, so it, it, we also should point out, I mean, Kentavious Street and Julian Taylor are guys who are sort of similar inside-outside hybrid players right. to Armstead. So if, like we said, if you'd rather spend that money elsewhere, you have those those kind of guys who could step in and play big end and kick inside if they needed to, uh, you know, if they were more inclined to get one of these high-level defensive tackles. Street is a guy I'm really interested in seeing how he plays next year because he was considered a second or third round prospect before his ACL injury. And he, the 49ers drafted him in the fourth round. And you talk to, to guys in the locker room about, about what Contavious street does in the weight room. And he's like the team's most impressive lifter. And, and, you know, a lot of guys say like, it's not even close really like for a rookie to be, you know, the, I think he squats more than anybody on the team. And I'm pretty sure he benches more than anybody on the team. Uh, that's pretty impressive. We don't know that necessarily it'll translate to football, but he was a good player in college and uh, and we'll see how he recovers from that ACL tear. But the 49ers might be, you know, they might have an eye on Contavious Street as somebody who could step in from Ar- for Armstead, allowing them to to get someone like, like Ndamukong Sue, who's next on our list. Uh, obviously, former Rams defensive tackle played next to Aaron Donald last year. Formerly the Dolphins, the second overall pick by the Lions all those years ago. Uh, he made $14 million last season. I'm guessing he would cost less. I'm guessing you could probably get him for 10 or 11 Uh It's not a premium position. He's another guy who could play nose while pass rush, you know, adding, adding a boost to your pass rush on the inside. Someone playing next to DeForest Buckner, I think it would make a lot of sense. I, uh, like, we, like we keep saying, I think paying him, you know, 10, 11, 12 million dollars next season makes more sense. When you look at the nine. the thing with Sue that I think is going to be a problem for the 49ers is obviously they're not going to pay him 14 million dollars a year, but even if he commands 10 per year, he's going to want a multi-year deal. And when you look at the the teams with cap space, the 49ers right now according to over over the cap have about 65 million Right behind them are the Seahawks with 51, the Bengals with 50, uh, the Cowboys with 46, and then the Titans with 41. And the Titans actually got a meeting with Sue in free agency last year. But then ahead of the 49ers are the Raiders, Bills, Texans, Browns, Jets, and Colts. Uh, all teams, I'm sure, that would be happy to pay Indomitian Sue uh, north of, of 9 or $10 million a year for a few seasons uh, to get his services. So... That's where I think the 49ers will run into a problem is there will very likely be a bidding war for Ndamukong Sue, and I don't think that this position is a big enough need for the Niners that they're going to really get into that. Yeah, I agree with you completely. Um, I'm not sure that that Sue would, would want to come. You know, I don't know how much momentum the 49ers are entering this season with in comparison to last year when they won five five games in a row and were sort of the, the darling talk of the offseason last year after signing Jimmy Garoppolo to that five-year contract. But, you know, I do think somebody, if the Niners were willing to pay, you know, maybe they're willing, they, they really view this as an area where they can upgrade and they're willing to just stick their neck out for one year and provide a heavily guaranteed contract within that one year, maybe a two-year deal with the first year entirely guaranteed plus a hefty signing bonus. Maybe that's enough for Sue, who's made a ton of money in his career already. Uh, we will have to see. 
So what we can say about Indomitian Sue, though, is that Chris Kosurek, the Niners' new defensive line coach, coached him all five seasons while he was with the Lions. So maybe the 49ers are going to have some intel on Sue that maybe some other teams don't have. I personally am not privy to the type of relationship that Sue and Kosurek have. Maybe Sue loves him and maybe Sue really wants to play for him again. Or maybe they hate each other. Maybe I, I just really don't even know. But I think the fact that there is a relationship there should should, you know, maybe put the 49ers in the discussion if they want to if they want to add someone next to DeForest Buckner and they decide not to bring back Eric Armstead. So we only did three guys on our list this week uh, because, I mean, it's just not really a position where we're expecting the 49ers to make a splashy move. But one guy who I know has had success against the 49ers yeah. in the preseason uh, for for all you diehard hey, hey, real quick, before you say, what if there's viewers, somebody listening right now who's just yelling this name because they know who it is like someone's just a diehard preseason fan i would be really happy if you are that person send tweet kyle and let him know uh cory legit pronounced legit like legit but it's spelled l-i-u-g-e-t uh, he only played six games last year for the Chargers. He opened the year suspended for four games for violating the PED policy, uh, and he suffered a torn quad tendon in November that landed him on injured reserve. I think he only played in six games. A good player, a really good player when healthy, and also somebody who is very familiar with the scheme. Uh, I'm not entirely sure if he played three technique which is DeForest Buckner's position. I'm willing to bet that that's where he played, but I'm also willing to bet that he would be familiar with the nose tackle spot in the scheme, in Gus Bradley's scheme. And I think it would make sense. He would probably come cheap. Uh, he could be versatile. And I would like that addition particularly. Yeah, the biggest issue with stuff. Legion is that he's played uh, just over 600 snaps the last two years. But... Prior to that, he's a pretty good player uh, when he's healthy. So, yeah, if the if the Niners can get him cheap and in a position where they don't need him to play uh, forty or fifty snaps a game, I I think that he's the he's the kind of player that they would go sign as a depth addition. That maybe he doesn't even make the team, but it, worth taking worth taking a flyer on for sure. I think. I think that's it. You have anything else you want to add to this uh, this defensive? No, line I just think that it's call? going to be it's going to be an important year for that position next year because of all the question marks there. You mentioned Contavious Street, and if they keep Eric Armstead, what does he do in what could be the final year of of his deal if they don't wind up signing him to some sort of extension? There's uh, DeForest Buckner is up for an extension very soon, and and one that's going to earn him a ton of money. They're going to have very likely a new draft pick at that at that spot. There's just a lot of question marks at that position, and if they all pan out in the 49ers' favor, they'll be in a in a really good spot. But we might wind up at this time next year talking about how defensive line is one of their top two needs. Yeah, and to expound upon that, we we mentioned Contavious Street coming off the ACL tear. We don't really know if he's going to recover because obviously the 49ers don't have yeah. a sterling history of drafting guys with ACL injuries coming out of college and them producing. There just isn't really a history of it, particularly with this team. Um, and Julian Taylor, 
while he looked really good in training camp last year and, and in the preseason, and he got a little bit of playing time during the year, uh, he had a laundry list of, of injury issues at Temple, which was why one of the reasons why he laughed, lasted to the seventh round of the draft. I think the 49ers think he has the talent to be a mid-round type prospect when, when they took him, but uh, he lasted to the seventh round because of all those injury concerns, and those aren't necessarily going to go away overnight. Um, so the Niners do have options to replace Armstead and Street and Taylor, but I do think, and, and we've touched on this a bunch, but the best option if they move on from Armstead is, is to probably bring in one of these, one of these other guys to, to fill that void if they want to get to where they're trying to go, which is playoff contention. So I think with that, thank you for listening to Candlestick Chronicles on the Blue Wire Network brought to you by Harry's and Ethos, our lovely sponsors. Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to your podcasts, and we will talk to you guys next time. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.